Well, put on your sunglasses or you'll be blinded by the guest stars tonight. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast, episode 126, for the week of Wednesday, the 23rd of July, 2014. This episode is brought to you by Mike's Comics and Stuff and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight we talk to Bill Murphy from Fresh Monkey Fiction about the Amazing Heroes Kickstarter, and then we're joined by AFB listener Andy Bentley and the one and only Slick McFavorite from the Open Your Toys podcast to discuss all things Transformers. Hey everybody, Scotty here. We've got two great discussions for you in this episode. A little bit later on, John is going to be joined by our friend and listener Andy Bentley and Slick McFavorite from Open Your Choice Podcast to have a full-on Transformers discussion. But right now, I'm chatting to Bill Murphy from Fresh Monkey Fiction about the Amazing Heroes Kickstarter, which has been in the making for quite some time and has recently gone live. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me tonight. How are you? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on. It's our pleasure. Now, um, you have gotten up extremely early to um, <laughs> fit in with the wacky world time zone thing, so we really do appreciate that. Oh, no worries. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And, and I have to say, you sound extremely coherent for being up at a ridiculous hour as well. <laughs> well, usually I'm up this early anyway, so no, I was. it was great that you guys uh, offered to have me on. Oh, our pleasure. Well, um as people who have been listening or following the site would be aware, we have been following this really keenly, um, and uh, it's certainly something that is in our wheelhouse. We we don't talk about every Kickstarter that is out there, and we don't talk about every Kickstarter that um, we are asked to simply because we want to try and be, um, I guess, a bit selective about things that we think, A, have merit, and B, are likely to happen, um, as in, you know, that if they get funded, that uh, they'll actually be produced. Um, but you know, you, you've got some, some cred in that, that area. So, and, and we are really excited about these characters as well. Um, so amazing heroes, talk to me a little bit about how this all came about and, uh, and what is it about these characters that, uh, got your passion going? Well, this, this came about actually probably like six years ago, actually, we, I conceived sort of wanting to do characters of, uh, of these guys. I sort of, I grew up with, uh, having these golden age comics, which was pretty rare yeah. for a kid from the eighties. I had a, I have a cousin, uh, who owned a comic book store, right? So he, uh. so I used to go there as a kid and I would, uh, he would give me comics and he used to give me some of these, these comics. So I would have some of this stuff and, um, it always kind of resonated with me, um, and a lot of my friends didn't have these comics, so I thought, like, oh, I'm kind of special, right? I've got these Golden Age books that, you know, my friends didn't know. They weren't Spider-Man, you know, Avengers, or I was a big Marvel guy, so um, I had a bunch of Marvel stuff, but I always had these as well. And so as I grew older, I always still kind of liked these characters. And there's been kind of relaunches of these guys um, through the years, too, as well, as far as the various comics. Alan Moore did some stuff, and Dynamite obviously has done their stuff. Hmm. Um, but I just sort of really loved sort of a lot of these, a lot of these heroes. And, uh, you know, about six years ago we started, I started trying to develop a line and, 
it went through various phases from being uh, sort of a six-inch articulated figure back down to a four-inch kind of JLU-type style figure and um, morphed into more of a four-inch articulated figure. One of the posts we're going to do here probably in the next couple of weeks um, is going to show kind of the progress of this line over the last six years. And it's pretty fascinating just to kind of see where it, where it ended up. And then, um, you know, we, I got really into uh, Kickstarter uh, a couple of years ago and realized that this might be a good opportunity to kind of get this line out there. And that's kind of how it morphed into where it is today. Hmm. So just in terms of that journey of you know, how you ended up with this scale and this uh, basic buck, you know, what, what was the final decision-making process about going with this look and this scale? Well, the um, part of it revolved around cost, mm. obviously. And that's just to be pretty transparent with everybody. You know, it's, uh, it's expensive to do um, a, a six-inch articulated figure. And I wanted these figures to be affordable, especially because they're probably going to be a very limited and small run. And so that, that ended up informing a little bit of decisions there. Um, and then I was looking at sort of various kind of buck styles, knowing that I wanted it to be more simple. Mm. And um, as the kind of retro thing has kind of emerged over the last year or so, I started thinking about, well, maybe we could kind of work towards a style of some sort of 80s style that I liked in action figures. And we kind of ended up ended up here. Um, and I really liked the uh, like the silhouette of like Secret Wars mm -hmm. of the figure. You know, mm -hmm. I really liked the look of that. And that was my favorite line as a kid. A lot of people gravitated more towards like superpowers. But I always gravitated to, to Secret Wars, I think, again, because I was a big Marvel fan. Huh. I was a superpowers kid, but I, I had a few Secret Wars guys. I mean, it's yeah. certainly, to, to a collector of our vintage, it's a very recognizable um, buck. You know? Yeah, and yeah. so I kind of wanted to kind of take that and go, okay, well, let's, let's work with that. So, you know, we kind of, we got that and we, we sculpted the figures um, in uh, CG in, 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 in that style. And, um, I, you know, and, and it was, you know, it's I, after talking to a bunch of toy people, they were like, maybe you should go more, uh, traditional, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the retro toys coming out are very much more in line with like star Wars, that kind of thing. And, but I was like, you know what, I really kind of want to do something a little, a little different, mm -hmm. um, that may or may not work out for people. But I, I, I really, again, I really like the buck and the silhouette. And I think it's also why I kind of gravitated to, uh, JLU toys and, and, and the Batman animated toys because I really like that clean sort of style and um, that is kind of how we ended up here um, and uh, it's a little different in scale than I think people may be used to but I'm also kind of wanting to kind of do my own thing here with this line so I thought it would be great to kind of put it out there and see what see what folks thought. Hmm. I mean I think as well as well as the cost of six inch it, if you want to, I guess, compete in that scale, then there's a lot of expectation in terms of articulation, etc., which, yeah. you know, you're getting around by, because that's really not what this line is about, um, right. from, what, from what I can see. You know, obviously, it, it, from what I see, we've got just basic arm and leg articulation, and will it have neck as well? Yes, or? it'll have okay. neck, yeah. Cool. It's got, a, it's got a cut joint at the neck, so it's, uh, it's got five points. Yeah. Um, and it's very basic. And it, a lot of it also came, it came down to look and feel and cost as well. And, you know, and looking at Kickstarter going, you know, what are the projects that were out there at the time when I started thinking about doing it as a Kickstarter and what were, what was funding? Um, what was, you know, would, you know, would, how much would I think people would be willing to pay for a figure? Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, those, when you get into the six inch scale, you know, those costs and tooling, 
will you know run you much higher and i was like well i don't want to overshoot the kickstarter as much as i think this stuff is cool you know i want to make it realistic for people to be able to afford as well yes and uh, that's kind of where we kind of ended up here and i think it the overall aesthetic really uh kind of looks good but i also think it kind of resonates with sort of the characters also become being kind of vintage and 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 golden age as well so that's they all kind of came together i think and it looks they look pretty nice i think oh i agree that i think it suits the characters beautifully and the the kind of vintage as well it takes a when you first look at it you don't think oh secret wars it's you know only when you kind of look at the um the the structure and physicality of it but i i think it suits the characters perfectly Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so in terms of preparing to do this Kickstarter, I mean, your Kickstarter has been in the making for um, quite a while. It's obviously been a very considered process. So what were the steps that you uh, went through before you were ready to go live with this? Well, obviously, there's, uh, you know, all the prototyping and getting things ready, uh, the images, uh, getting, making sure you've got factories lined up. And I've got a bunch of industry friends who offered up a lot of information as far as making sure that we had good factories that could actually produce the product at a decent price. Great. Um, you know, and, and then one of the things that we did consciously, which may or may not have turned out to be a good thing, well, time will tell, but <laughs> it's, we really tried to put stuff out there early, like about four months or so before we launched four or five months before we launched as opposed to a lot of kickstarters that just launch one day and then and then you don't know they're coming and then there they are so and that's yeah. worked well yeah, so yeah for for people also so you know it's um we made a decision doing that and um the good thing is we did get a lot of people reaching out to us ahead of time um being very interested asking questions and it also helped evolve the line a little bit before we launched which i thought was really great you know we got a lot of fan feedback of going hey is Daredevil going to come with his belt or can we get some accessories or those kind of things. So that was wonderful because we were able to kind of get a little bit of a feel for what people wanted before we actually got the Kickstarter launched. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, so it's great to hear that you've got your um, factories, etc., lined up already as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big thing. So having, um, uh, you know, having a few friends who have done figures in the past, we were able to kind of contact various factories and get some good quotes um, and also try to you know, get, uh, and they, the quotes were all over the place. So it was good that, you know, you're able to kind of figure that out ahead of time. I think that's important. I mean, obviously I want to be able to produce these products, um, at a place that is going to make good quality stuff and, um, actually be able to get them done. I know that there's been a lot of Kickstarters in the past that maybe haven't done their research mm-hmm. and, uh, products don't ever get made. I've certainly funded a few Kickstarters that I still don't have anything from. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I certainly didn't want to be in that position. So, so I wanted to make sure I had all that stuff tightened up and buttoned up before we launched. And again, it's been, uh, it's been a, at least a year development actively knowing that we're going to do the Kickstarter, trying to get everything lined up. So that was really important. Hmm, that, I mean, but I think that's uh, something that should be reassuring to people in that decision-making process. Cause I'm in the same boat, you know, where I have pretty, pretty much nothing to show to this date for the things that I've backed so far. And I think it is understandable that people on limited budgets and who might be new to this, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, roadblocks that are hard to anticipate. Um, but it, it is, uh, it's made me a little bit gun shy about what I back in that sense that, you know, I want to encourage people in this, but I also, I'd like to actually get something eventually. So I'm a big proponent of Kickstarter. I think it's a really good platform to launch products, whether it's toys or 
uh, movies or any of that, that type of thing. So I'm kind of sad to hear when when projects don't fund. So it was important for us to make sure that we you know had all of our ducks in a row, so to speak, to make sure that we could deliver product to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so. What what do you see as the I guess the biggest risks in this process for you? I mean, I know everyone has to um, explain that in the Kickstarter stuff, but what what are the things that you're most concerned about? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, obviously the factory thing is a concern. I mean, you, you know, you, no matter who you use, you try to get reputable factories. And if you're lucky, you, like I do, I've got uh, friends who've used these factories in the past and they have a relationship. So, but it's still a concern along the way. And it's, and it's a process, right? Even when you use the factory. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I'll point to the four horsemen are going through that right now. I think uh, with their, with their Kickstarter, they've had to go through two factories already to get it done. So, you know, it's, but you want to make sure you're getting, you're getting the best product out there. So you, and, and informing the fans and the people that are your supporters, I think, is the most is the best thing. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, giving yourself enough leeway time when also when you think your stuff is going to deliver. Um, so you know, we're not anticipating delivering anything until next uh, until like next May, mm-hmm. and that's just because I want to make sure there's a, a, enough window to maybe we can deliver early, you know, and I don't want to guarantee that, but the idea is that I don't, I don't want to say I'm going to deliver by say Christmas if I know that's not a reality. Right. So, um, and I want to be able to communicate with the people that are supporting you because ultimately it's, it's, it's this person's dollar, whether that's a dollar or whether that's a thousand dollars. I mean, it's their money that, that are being put towards your product. So for me, that's very important that they're aware of the process. They're part of the process and, um, you know, that you deliver really great stuff at the end. Mm. Fantastic. So in terms of the characters that you're starting with, you know, Black Terror, Daredevil, Stardust, Captain Action, was that a, always a fixed lineup or were there other characters that you considered or how did you come to that group? Well, there was uh, uh, there were a lot of different characters floating around. There's, there's so many in public domain and in the golden age that you can pull from. The list is so long. <laughs> um, and uh, part of it, we arrived at that because of tooling. We mm-hmm. wanted to figure out some characters that could work across this a first set of tooling that we did. Again, to kind of keep our costs low for the first round of figures. Um, so that's why they call, kind of all have the same parts. Um, if we're fortunate enough to fund and move towards other waves, we'll kind of introduce some other parts like flared gloves and, and different boots and those kind of things. So that was that helped form the decision a little bit. Um, and uh, but uh, then there's just characters that resonated. We you know I. I love Black Terror. I think he's got a great visual look. Um, and then Stardust is just a fun uh, character as far as storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so there, was th- there was those different decisions that informed us as well. We also kind of wanted to have some characters that obviously looked a little different in terms of just their visual appeal. Um, so that's kind of where we ended up there. But, yeah, there were other characters that were out there already that we were like, oh, we could do this guy or that guy. But they're like, oh, he's got too many different parts and we wanted to kind of again keep the cost low to the consumer as far as trying to just get this first thing out the gate fair enough so if you do move forward you mentioned um different uh i guess you know sculpting options like flared gloves etc could you see a a female buck at any point or yeah i would love to do a female buck that would be that would be great i mean i think if we were uh, really successful and were able to get through a couple of late waves, we would try to do a, a female buck. Um, the cost would be similar to probably where we are today in terms of trying to tool that that buck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the nice thing is if the next wave we do, we add just a couple of different parts. Um, the overall get we're trying to get to get the figures produced would be a little bit lower. 
Um, yes. But I would love to do a female buck. That would be great. I, I feel like for the for the line, it would be awesome to have. And there are some great female characters that that we'd love to do. Fantastic. So in terms of the prototyping process, where are you up to in terms of um, getting some uh, examples in hand? Well, right now we've uh, we've done 3D prints of the actual figure. So we kind of know, is it going to fit with scale? What's the overall look? When you, I mean, that's a great thing with 3D printing now um, is that we work primarily in um, – like in CG. So we work, uh, or 3d as some people call it. And so we work primarily modeling on the computer and, uh, that's kind of our background. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the choice that we've made to kind of come at these figures with. Um, so you can do a lot of iterations quickly, which is great and kind of come up with what you want, but you actually want to produce something physical. So that's a great thing with 3d printing now is you can print these parts out you can look at them in terms of scale and is it working? So that's kind of where we're at today. Um, and most of the factories, especially the one we use, they can go directly to make the steel tools that are required for the figures directly from like a, th- a 3D file, like a computer file. So they'll make that kind of transition into that when we, if and when we get to that point. Hmm, that's fantastic. So in terms of the, uh, the, the parts that you're using, I notice is the Black Terror's cape going to be cloth? It will be cloth. Oh, yeah, awesome. it's, it's actually... It's we uh, decided to go with kind of a, a superpowers cape. <laughs> uh, so that that's it. We, we were debating: do we do plastic? Do we do cloth? Um, I think for these scale and for the 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 retro kind of appeal, we wanted to go with with cloth. I think that's awesome. So if we get to do the champion of Mars figures as well, his his cloth his cape will also be cloth as well. Fantastic, beautiful. How do you um? How did you come up with the design of the packaging? There's a couple of different packaging options with this, aren't there? You've got a, a, a beautiful carded Kickstarter uh, exclusive version, and then there's a boxed packaging that's going to be standard? Yeah, that'll be kind of the standard. So we initially wanted to do the carded packaging um, that we have as a limited exclusive. Um, and we just got so many quotes back from the factories, and it was just so expensive Really? To do um, with a smaller run. I mean, I anticipate uh, okay. probably you know that we'll do a run of around three hundred per character, mm-hmm. um, which is fairly small for for a manufactured piece. And we had to go through a couple factories to find out if we could do. I mean, I, we would love to do more. If we get more orders, we'll obviously do more than three hundred. But we kind of wanted to press ourselves at a point that you know what are the minimums we can do. Um, and again, still make them somewhat affordable. Mm, so mm. when we got into the, the carded stuff, they, they, the factory wanted to use to, they could produce the smaller runs. They, they, the, the price, the pricing that came back for the actual unit cards, because they were all different was very high. So we decided that, you know, what we'll do those as an exclusive and do kind of the, the box figures for, um, for the actual character. So that's kind of where we, how we kind of ended up with that. So we try to do something with the box that would be kind of unique and different and, and also kind of resonate with maybe more of a larger fan base. I know the, it's, it's going to be similar to like a pop vinyl type of box. Okay. Window box. Yeah. That's kind of where we're headed for that. And, and a box that can be, uh, reused, you know, like a collector friendly. So that was another thing we ended up with. Yeah. We also wanted, you know, I struggled with too, if you do cards, obviously, um, they're not as collector friendly as a box. No, and um, no. I like to play with my toys, so mm-hmm. I, I want something that 
uh, folks could kind of put their figures in and take them out of and then store them easily as well. So that's kind of also why we ended up with the box. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I love that idea because I think um, I, I got the uh, one of the Funko reaction figures recently, the Rocketeer, and yeah, uh, as soon as I took it off the card, I regretted it um, because yeah. r- really, like it's you know, it's not really very posable. It's not you know, there's not a lot of articulation, etc. And that's okay, but it's kind of it loses the effect once it's off the card, um, and uh, something that is. Uh, obviously I'm the same. I want to be able to take it out, you know, take photos of it, check it out. But then for something like this, I would imagine I'd probably display them in the box. So I I really like that idea. Well, good. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that was kind of in the same boat. I wanted something that I could take out of the box and kind of put back in and then have a nice collection of things that are in the box together. Um, but also be able to take them out and do that. And, and, and I sort of struggle with that. I mean, I, I was in the same boat with that rocketeer. Um, so I bought two. (laughs) but and then so that kind of resonated with me as well going well i don't you know as much as it would be great to have people buy two of everything <laughs> i didn't want them to feel obligated to buy two of everything and that that's really what it came down to also sure. was yeah you know i know a lot of people were like initially when i was talking like oh you should do carded because then maybe they'll buy two and then that just didn't sit well with me mm. i didn't i mean I, I think that again the carded packaging came down to cost obviously as well but it just didn't sit well with me that i felt like people would have to buy two of these things so um, you know, we were able to kind of do a limited run of the cards and they're kind of pricey, but that also I felt, felt gave something back to people who really wanted it. And obviously those kind of, uh, pledges to the Kickstarter will help this thing actually get made as well. So, exactly, yeah. so that's kind of why we did both. That's great. And so the box will have like a plastic insert in it or? Yes, the box will have, it'll be very similar to like a pop vinyl figure. If you guys are aware of that, it's, yeah, yeah. it'll have a, an inner, inner shell that'll kind of go into the box and then you can kind of take that out. You can take the figure out and you can put the figure kind of back in. I'm fascinated that that's cheaper than a carded figure. Well, it's 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 a quantity issue, right? So like all the all the all the figures will have the same box. Yeah, oh, I see. Got it. Okay. So you're, yeah. you're you're doing a run. Let's say if you know, as I mentioned, you know, we're going to do a smaller run of these characters. So if we end up doing three to four hundred of each, that's a lot more boxes than just a smaller run of the cards per character. So that's that's kind of why it came down to cost. I understand. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the back of the box will have, we, uh, we've kind of shown it already, although we're going to probably put a post up next week. It'll have, we did a, a comic book page that has all the characters in it. So you'll have like a little story on the back that show kind of all the characters and how they got transported to this, uh, crazy battle planet and they're going to have to fight all their bad guys. So it's a similar, uh, story to sort of secret wars in a way where all these characters kind of come together. So we wanted to kind of do that and, and, and do a little bit of world building also as well in the line. Beautiful. Um, now you've, you've keep saying we, so who else is involved in this project? Uh, well, it's me and, um, uh, my buddy Tom who does, uh, who does uh, a lot of the sculpting for us. So it's, it's, it's him and I, and, uh, obviously my wife who helps me out a lot. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> With so, with moral support or yeah yeah well yeah it's more moral support and just uh, sort of business planning that kind of stuff all the sort of behind the scenes less of the creative but more of the more of the business end practical yeah that's yeah good. that's I mean that, that's a handy skill set to have available to you yeah we wouldn't I wouldn't be doing this project with without her she's <laughs> you know she helped me figure out logistics like from shipping and all the other all the other type of 
quote unquote non fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so I mean, and, and that, but that stuff's important, right? I mean, that, yeah. that stuff I feel is, is sort of glossed over a lot of times with a lot of projects because, mm-hmm. hey, look, you know, we all want to make cool toys, and I think it's great, and uh, the creative stuff is is awesome. Um, but there's also a, like a business end to to a lot of this stuff, and especially if you want to. Um, have people come on and, and buy product from you and deliver product. You know, that's that's something that, you know, doesn't get uh, put in the spotlight a lot, but I feel it's very important to have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's great to uh, – it's quite transparent in your Kickstarter that it, it is really well planned and thought out. And I think that the advance uh, – uh, promotion that you've done speaks to that as well. And I suppose that, you know, now that this idea of toy Kickstarters isn't brand new and most people that would be involved in this stuff, you know, would be like us where we probably have backed a few things that, you know, have either taken a long time to come or you start to kind of think, you know what, I might never get that. Um, you know, so it is, it is important that you're showing that you're learning from that and that you've got a plan. Yeah, and I want to give another shout out to uh, Christopher Irving. Um, he's uh, he's like a comic book historian, and getting back to kind of putting things out there early, he sort of uh, hit me up early. Was very interested in the line from the beginning, and has written like all this copy for us, and um, and helped kind of creatively guide the line. and And he's writing articles for all the characters. We're going to have uh, articles on comic book resources um, every week with all the characters and their backstories. And he's been very. I mean, I. I thought I was into these guys, and he was really super into these guys, and he writes great <laughs> copies, so I have to give a shout-out to him. So when I say we, it's a collective we of all of these people coming together um, and really helping this thing happen. That's fantastic. And the um, the uh, handbook that Christopher Irving uh, has written is actually part of this Kickstarter. Yeah, so we'll have the essays that he's uh, he's writing, these little essays or articles on all the characters, and we'll, so we'll have that, plus sort of backgrounds and uh, we're going to show how to have some of their adventures, uh, their classic adventures be reprinted. It may all be digital, but uh, all there. And then uh, we'll have uh, some behind the scenes stuff on the Kickstarter in there as well. Fantastic. One of the things I love about uh, what you've done here is that as well as the the four characters you're producing in the first um, wave, you're also doing the blank slate, which you know is a character, but is also something that could be a buck that people could use for customizing, etc. Yeah, so that came up too. Again, going back to kind of this early um, merching or advertising of, of the line, it was that was all people's feedback. I kind of put it out there going, hey guys, we could do this. Are you interested? And then it resonated with a bunch of people who chimed in like on a Facebook or whatever and said, Hey, you know, you guys should really do that. So, you know, it was one of those things like it was, I'm glad we had a little bit of um, getting stuff out there early because that helped to inform what the line became. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's fun. It's fun to kind of be able to have a character that is sort of a character, but also could be, you know, a, 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 a DIY, a DIY kind of character that people could, could build off of as well. I love that idea. I mean, I think it's something when you look at a lot of the, uh, um, waves of or lines of figures that we've loved collecting. It's thing that's been asked for over and over. Something like DC Universe Classics, for example. Um, yeah. You know that uh, because there are people with fantastic skills out there. Not me, um, but you know pe- people that can uh, make stuff and that need stuff like this. So I think that's a great um, a, a great addition to the line, as well as the fact that the blank slate actually. Um, is a character itself. Actually, we made him up. 
Oh, did you really? Out. Oh, <laughs> so well, we, we we kind of put it out there that you know we, it was a vil- uh, one of the Daredevil villains, but he's because we wanted we wanted a, a villain for the line, and so we we kind of looked at the old Daredevil stories and were able to kind of find some characters. So we actually kind of spend it a little bit, uh, spend the history a little bit, uh, and, um. and make him sort of the bad guy. So he's 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 uh, he's sort of a a, a character we made up. But uh, we kind of inserted him into sort of the Daredevil universe. I love it. So that's that was, awesome. And uh, so, in a way, I'm 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 glad you thought he was real. I hope I that didn't. I hope, but I hope that doesn't uh, make anybody mad. That oh, that, I'm, yeah, that's it. This is over. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, that's so uh, cool. I love it. We wanted to kind of introduce him in a way that kind of felt like he would be part of the line, versus just like, or else it would just have been like, here's a blank figure for, for you sure. to customize, and that would have been fine too. Um, and also probably would resonate with people, but we wanted to kind of integrate him into the universe a little bit. So he'll be in the back of the comic book uh, page as well on the, on the figure packaging, like he's an actual character from, from, from that world. Lovely. And, and I like the fact that he comes with a, um, a head with hair and a bald head. Yeah, so he's got the character is like him, and then he's got these mindless minions that he has. So, so you made all to- that up. We all made all that That's up. That's awesome. I love it. That was one of the things that we sort of introduced. And, and again, hopefully people won't be upset that it's not real, but we tried <laughs> to make it look like it would be. And uh, cool. it, it gives us an army builder, too, as well. If you wanted to have a bunch of bad guys, you could get a few of these and, and put all the ball, head, ball heads on them and have them fight these guys. So That is awesome. That's fantastic. So we kind of went, went back and sort of introduced that into the, into the world a little bit. <laughs> now, in this Kickstarter, you've got some really interesting... Um, options in terms of the you know more expensive levels, like ones where people can buy their own run of you know a, a character that you say you'll never make again, for example. Yeah, so we wanted to have uh, you know in case anybody wanted to do an exclusive uh, themselves, but whether that's uh, somebody who owns a comic book shop or an e-tailer or somebody have the ability to kind of buy one of these characters. And as I mentioned, there's a huge list of great golden age characters that we could do. And so we picked a few that we probably maybe wouldn't have done in the first wave or two, but we thought were really exciting. So we wanted to offer those up to, to somebody that might want to come in and say, Hey, you know, I want an exclusive character and we'll do a small run for them. And, and then they can sell them however they'd like to. Fantastic. That's a great idea. So, uh, and then we also have like, if you want to design your own, you can kind of come in as long as it works within sort of our basic structure um, and you could get your own run of your own action figure if you want. Beautiful, beautiful. So, with uh, only um, how many days has the Kickstarter been going? It's just been a week. It's now. been a week. Fantastically, yeah. and you've already got a hundred backers. That is brilliant. We just we just uh, just got a hundred backers as of today. So that was it's great news, and everybody's been coming you know forward and and really likes the line, and we've been doing some advertising. I mean, it, you know, Comic Con is coming up. So uh, you get a little lost in the Comic Con news. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure you guys know you're you know you, uh, you know you're uh, you put something out there and then it's gone the day later because everybody's trying to promote their stuff uh, for Comic Con, which is great. And we're gonna, we're going to be at Comic Con next week, and uh, we're going to be at the uh, walking around, and we're going to be at the Captain Action panel that they're doing, and and so we're going to do another big push. The reason the Kickstarter is so long, it's uh, it was 40 days, and the reason it was so long is we wanted to push it out there before Comic-Con, as we were going to actually be there um, mm-hmm. now, and um, and then do another big push after, maybe after the big Comic-Con news has settled down. So that's that's kind of why it's why we kind of went a little longer with the campaign. 
No, that's, I think that's fantastic. It's a great um, way to link in with Comic-Con, get some excitement happening there as well. And then once the dust is settled from that, you still have got time to hopefully get this over the line. Yeah, that, that was kind of our plan. And the, the Captain Action guys have been great, and they're doing a panel down there. And so they kind of reached out and said, hey, well, why don't you guys come down, and or I'll be, I'll be down, actually, and, 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 uh, and talk about the, the Kickstarter a little bit, the panel. And so we decided to do that, and we're going to run a little contest that if we have got a bunch of people wearing Fresh Monkey Fiction T-shirts. So if you happen to see us, you know, say hello. And, and then if you link to the Kickstarter, you can get, uh, you can get uh, some prizes that we're going to offer. And then we're also going to, for people not going to Comic-Con, we're also going to do another contest uh, probably a week after Comic-Con that'll be kind of a design-your-own-hero contest. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, is there anything else that you want to um, make sure that people know if they're, you know, on the fence about backing this? Well, you know, I think uh, it's just that uh, if if they're worried about, as you said, there's a lot of people that are worried about, uh, you know, can, uh, you know, can you actually fulfill your Kickstarter. So I hope that I was able to convey that we've done a lot of research and, and uh, you know, put everything in place so that we know things will happen. Um, I also want to say, too, that, if, you know, some people aren't um, big into Kickstarter. So we were able to kind of work a deal out with Big Bad Toy Store. Uh, so they are they are offering the figures there. Um, the pricing model works a little different, so they're a little more expensive there, um, but they're there for people if they feel more comfortable ordering through a, like an e-tailer versus Kickstarter. So um, if we do fund, those orders will be fulfilled on the Big Bad Toy Store orders as well. Fantastic. And will the Big Bad um, orders actually help work towards your goal? or They do, yes. Yeah. So oh, that's great. We worked it out so that the, the, it's a direct contribution to the Kickstarter for people that kind of don't want to participate uh, in Kickstarter because they're not familiar with it, it's kind of a new thing. I mean, even though Kickstarter has been around for a little while, um, you know, people are kind of unaware of it or what is it or, or haven't even pledged anything on it or maybe have had a bad experience, like you said. So we wanted to give another out, uh, another way for people to order. Um, you know, there are advantages to certainly going with the Kickstarter. The figures are a little cheaper. You can get stretch goals, that type of thing. It won't be offered through the Big Bad Toy Store um, website, but at least if you want to go there, their figures are actually there. And again, those contributions will actually come back and help support the line getting made as well. Mm, that's fantastic. Look, I, I'm very passionate about uh, this sort of means of getting the things that we want with reputable people like yourself, like the Boss Fight um, Kickstarter that just got funded, like the October Toys Kickstarter. Because, you know, for those of us that have been collecting for a while, we've had so many experiences of lines, you know, not not living up to what we wanted from the, the major producers, etc. And so I think we've, we've got to start thinking about other ways to actually get toys made and uh you know to me it's incredibly exciting to see these projects being successful and uh yours looks well on the track to to going that way as well well yeah thanks yeah and i'm excited about these other lines as well i i contributed to all of those too and i'm excited that uh again we people have this opportunity to kind of put things out there and i hope that when these things do fund that uh everything and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't uh, follow through so hopefully they will follow through and get, get great products out there for everyone because like you mentioned like you know the the bigger mass market stuff um although having great appeal you know um is limited right so i hope that uh, this is a good platform to get really kind of unique and fun stuff out to to fans yeah and i think it's something that people need to let serious collectors need to think about as well you know things may not some of the things on kickstarter mightn't be 
100% in their wheelhouse. But if we don't get behind these ideas, then the things that you personally want to see made are less likely to happen. And so to me, it is, I mean, obviously you shouldn't buy something that you don't like, but right. if you, um, you know, if, if you want to see more of this happen and people, companies like yourself be empowered to, you know, have money to get licenses and that sort of thing, then, you know, we need to, to come together as a community, I think, and get involved in, in these projects. And so it's great to see um, some really exciting ones like this one out there at the moment. Yeah, I think that it is great. And, and you know, and, and speaking to that a little bit too, um, you know, the Skeleton Waters thing was an actually licensed product. And I mm-hmm. think it's great because a lot of licensed people are very afraid of Kickstarter. I certainly discussed uh, some licensing with some other companies. Luckily, Captain Action was willing to go behind it as well. So I think more of these licensed companies will kind of get on board with these uh, endeavors. And the more that we can support even licensed products on, on, on Kickstarter, I think it's a good thing. Because um, you'll be able to see more and more stuff happen that maybe like a, a big box store wouldn't carry. Um, but for example, like Captain Action, that you'll be able to kind of you'll be able to kind of see out there, even though maybe you can't get it at, at retail. Mm, fantastic. Well, Bill Murphy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and we wish you all the best for the thirty-six days remaining. And uh, we will keenly report the rest of the process, and really look forward to celebrating with you when this gets fully funded. Well, great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on. My absolute pleasure. The Transformers more than meets the eye. Transformers from Hasbro. Hey guys, John here, and we really do listen to what you guys say, and we try and take as many of your ideas and work them into the show as possible. This seg- next segment that you're about to hear was actually brought to us as an idea by Andy Bentley, who you will hear on the segment, along with Slick McFavorite from the Open Your Toys podcast. I sat down with them to discuss Transformers because um, Andy didn't think we had enough Transformers love on the show. And, you know, probably in all fairness, we didn't. And it's a big part of the toy collecting world. So I hope you guys enjoy one little small programming note. Um, during part of the interview, Slick's mic had some technical difficulties and he actually had to change some things around so that um, he could continue recording. But it does change the tone that and quality of his voice. So... Don't be afraid. This isn't the aliens controlling the horizontal and the vertical. This is just uh, one of those little snafus. Without any further ado, I gotta say, let's transform and roll out. In the beginning came the beasts, but nature lies. They're robots in disguise. Beast wars. Heroic new Maximals battle the evil reptile and insect forces of the Predacons. Evil Waspinator changes from insect to high tech and puts the sting on Cheetor. But there's more to Cheetor than meets the eye. Under the skin lurks a robot within, with hidden weapons firing. All new Beast Wars. Each sold separately. Well, tonight um, we have a very special edition of Greatest Toy Line of All Time because it was suggested by one of you guys, one of our listeners, Andy Bentley. And Andy, um, say hi to the folks. Hey, everyone. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I just got back from uh, playing some basketball. Well, that's good. That's that's really good. Um, 
athletic nerds. That's that's always good. Um, <laughs> and uh, you had called us on not having very much Transformers stuff, so we're here to, <laughs> we're here to talk about Transformers tonight. And um, I thought it'd be fun. I asked one of my buddies, a longtime um, guy I've listened to but never actually got a chance to talk to, so this is kind of one of those things that I do for myself, um, <laughs> Mr. Slick McFavorite. Say hi, Slick. Hola. Como esta? Um, in the Midwest, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had we had a little bit of severe weather here, but but we're recovering. We actually in, in I'm in uh, Denver, and we actually had uh, several tornado touchdowns here, which is like very 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 rare for us. Oh wow! So, but. But we're all safe. It just well, took a roof off. It just took a couple roofs off the buildings. Nothing, nothing like a real, yeah. yeah, nothing like a real tornado would do. <laughs> yeah. Well, gentlemen, let's just dive right in. I'll give okay. let's let's give folks a little bit of your background because Andy, you called us out on being a Transformers on Transformers and Slick. You have a podcast that that involves Transformers. So, um, tell tell me tell me your background with Transformers. So like, go ahead, Andy. All right. No, I'll let you. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think your age kind of reveals your, uh, where you start. So I'm, I'm 35. So, uh, G1 fan through and through. Uh, I think it was the Japanese animation. It was the first time seeing Japanese animation. It kind of really blew my, uh, little brain as well as kind of, it was the first cartoon that <clears throat> kept continuity. Uh, you know, you kind of saw things happen that, uh, impacted episodes afterwards. Uh, some guys get in because they're, they're car guys. Uh, that really wasn't my thing. Uh, and I know some people say they got into it because of the value. You've got a, you got a car vehicle, but you also got a, uh, bot. I don't, I don't think that was really what it was, uh, for me. So, uh, certainly as a kid, um, you know, parents bought a lot of G1 toys for me, uh, kind of faded away from it. My brother's six years younger, so he got in. Uh, when they re-ran the cartoon in the early 90s as part of the G2 brand. And then again, you know, petered out a little bit. And then in college, I was visiting someone and caught the uh, agenda crossover on the Beast Wars where it was referencing G1. And I just, I was like, oh my God, you know, this is still going. There's, you know, people like this. And was a huge Beast Wars fan. Got all my uh, buddies in college into it. Really didn't get into... Uh, the Robots of the Size stuff or the Unicorn trilogy. My brother kind of got into that stuff. And I'm also not really a movie guy, but you know, I, now my big passion is the chug, as they call it, the classics, Hank A, United Generations, uh, lines that are kind of giving you the bots you loved back in the eighties with, uh, modern technology. Wow. So you, you've kind of, you kind of did what all of us collectors, you started and got away from it and came back to it. Yeah. What about you, Slick? What, what's your, what's your Transformers background? Um, so yeah, child, the eighties, I'm 38. So when Transformers came out, I was, I was firmly in their target market at being, you know, eight years old and, uh, loved the cartoon. Just, just a junkie, uh, of all, 
all of those uh, cartoons, the Transformers, GI Joe, uh, He Man that were uh, that were running at the time. The biggest draw was uh, the '86 movie. Uh, it was the first movie that I ever got to see uh, completely by myself. And uh, it, it's funny they you talk about spoilers. I, I I sat next to a kid in there that proceeded to tell me step by step, scene by scene, what was going to happen in the next couple minutes at almost every point during the movie. Um, wouldn't really have anything to kind of relate that to until I was part of the kind of the geek community and spoilers became such a big deal. Um, but I still love the movie. So I collected them all through childhood for the most part. It's one of my favorite lines. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I didn't get a lot of quote transformers. I got a few mini bots here and there, um, but I got more so some go bots and some trans changers and, you know, things of that nature. Um, and then, uh, what, what got me back into it at, at an older age was, uh, I was in college. Um, a, a female friend of mine had stayed over the night and, and we didn't do, uh, much sleeping. And on a Saturday morning, I, I, she left and I was flipping around the channels and I saw Beast Wars. And I didn't even know it was Transformers until the commercial. Um, it was one of those things where I just saw this 3D animated cartoon and I was completely enthralled with it. And this is when I found out, you know, that, that Transformers were still around. Uh, so a couple toys from that line. Didn't think too much of it. Um, the big draw that got me back into Transformers was I went to Star Wars Celebration 1 because it was here in Denver. This is where wow. these, yeah, it's, it, Denver was where the fan club was based out of during, uh, the Phantom Menace times. Mm-hmm. And so Celebration 1 was in celebration of uh, the Phantom Menace, and I went and there were these dealers there that what I would learn later on in my collecting career, or whatever you want to call it, is they had AFA-graded Transformers. So they had these pristine, sealed in acrylic cases display just like I would have seen at Toys R Us when I was a kid. And I just got hooked. You know, I was a young, it was during the whole dot-com boom. I was a young internet web designer, you know, making more money than I knew how to spend at the time. And so I started getting into um didn't ever even find out about uh an online community until uh 2006 oh, wow. my my wife and I put iPods on our wedding registry as a joke you know 2006 iPods were $400 for the base model that kind of thing and we happened to get one and I was like, well, I'm going to take our wedding money and I'm going to get me one. I gave her that one and I got me one. And I found this thing called podcasts. 
And there, that introduced me to collecting communities, fan sites, uh, online forums slash boards, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, within a couple of years, we started our own podcast and now... And now we have a large house that I have almost no more room to store toys in anymore. <laughs> Common problem. Yes, it is. It's like what, what was the uh, first big Transformers site that you found? Uh, the first one, and, and it's not big necessarily, it was TF Wire. It was Transformers Week in Review because it was... Remember, yep. It was the podcast that, you know, got me into it. So, uh, uh, Bolt Matrix and, uh, Matrix Prime, I think was Jesse's name on there. Um, but it was them talking about, uh, TFW and Sabertron that, yes. that kind of took me to these fan sites. And so, and for John, Star Wars Action News was my big Star Wars one that introduced me to that fandom. So their forum and then them talking about uh, Rebel Scum, you know, really opened my eyes to those fan sites. Sure. Oh, wow. I think mine was uh, BigBot.com was the first the first one I started looking at. And oh. uh, Ben Yee's uh, site, BWTF. Mm. See, I've heard of Ben Yee's. I I had never heard of Big Bot. Yep. But uh but like I say, anything like pre two thousand six, the only way I've even heard about it is people that were part of the fandom before that telling me, you know, like four chan and you know, the zines back from like the late nineties and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. I find that like absolutely intriguing that it it existed during, you know, what you know, could for Transformers be considered dark times, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, you guys you guys have said G1 and G2 a couple times. I'm, I'm going to sure. have to ask you guys to explain that <laughs> for us for us non-Transformers people. It, it just simply, Generation 1 and Generation 2, I think it came out of the Hasbro branding of the uh, 93 uh, rebroadcast of the cartoon and their uh, line filled with re-releases of old toys and new toys. They called that Transformers Generation 2, so by default, uh, the original series became Generation 1. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, now, give me a little bit of background, because uh, Transformers wasn't... It's a Hasbro brand in the States, but it's it's based on, on stuff from Japan. So, give, give them... What's the story there, guys? Sure. Go ahead, Andy. I, I, I am... Uh, I'm not probably as well-versed as you are. Okay. Uh, it's the parent company in Japan is Takara, now known as Takara to- uh, Tomy, and they were looking to rebrand uh, two of their toy lines, Diaclone and Microchange, uh, in the USA. And uh, I posted a link here in our chat, but I think we could probably get it, you know, in on the, on the uh, podcast when it comes out. It's a video of that toy show in Japan, uh, reportedly, where Hasbro uh, found them. And uh, they said, great, you know, we'd, we'd like to bring these over to the USA. Uh, <clears throat> however, they needed, they knew to package these things. These were kind of, you know, something that you know, USA had never seen before. So uh, they 
needed to, so they set off to, uh, make a cartoon with, uh, <clears throat> Sunbo and a comic book with Marvel. Uh, Bob Budensky, I think, was the writer of the, uh, of the U.S. comic. And soon to follow was a U.K. comic written by Simon Furman, which, uh, most Transformer fans know that name. Yeah, even I know that name, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. You know, it, it's it's kind of strange, but um, being a GI Joe fan, I gotta ask. So this is how that whole Starscream jet fire thing happened with the the exclusive a couple. Oh, of that debacle! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <clears throat> uh, that comes from uh, the 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 original year is eighty four. The following year is eighty five, and at that point, you know, they're starting to use up most of their Takara's toys, and they realize, and it is a sensation. I think we should point out, this took the world, the toy world, you know, akin to Pokemon, um, uh, any other fad you can remember. It was it was monstrous in the beginning. They were flying off the shelves. So uh, they needed some more toys, so they uh, incorporated toys from some competitors of Takara, uh, Takatoku, Macross, Macross specifically being the one behind the Valkyrie, which was uh, Jetfire. Okay. And then they kind of thought they still had the rights to the colors and stuff, and that yes. came across, and they ended up suing over a exclusive. So. Yep. They actually have one coming out this year. They're using Skyfire as the name, and his design is much closer to the animation model, which was drastically changed in order to uh, not step on Bandai's or Macross's uh, toes. Okay. Yeah, and the, I mean, one of the big controversies over that is uh, so the company that acquired those rights and holds them is a company called Harmony Gold, and they're just not doing anything. There's there are lots of Japanese releases, but Harmony Gold controls the uh, release of toys in the United States. And they just, they haven't done anything in them, uh, uh, anything with them. And so the big thing with this was, you know, Hasbro released that, they announced it, they had leaks, uh, or not leaks, uh, reveals of, of that whole Comic-Con exclusive, and Harmony Gold did nothing until it was released, um, until after the con. So it didn't stop anything at the con from being released. The only thing it did was uh, block Hasbro Toy Shop's release of it and block the G.I. Joe slash Transformers Collectors Club release of it after the con. Hmm. And even that, it didn't stop it. It just delayed it. So that that exclusive set didn't go on sale through the proper channels until probably, do you remember, Andy, it was, what, like three, four weeks after the con, they finally put it on Hasbro Toy Shops and the Collector's Club? Yeah, so, yep, <clears throat> right around there. Okay, I need, to, I need to go over some Transformer basics. Yes. <laughs> I'm a kid. I know it's a car or a plane and a robot. <laughs> You guys have, you, I know you guys have specific names for each mode and kind of tell me what's the general, you know, is, there's some stuff about transforming. I know there's different levels of, hey, this is easy, this is hard. Um, kind of describe the process of how you guys look at something like that. 
Do you mind if I take this one, Andy? Go right ahead. So, um, so as far as the modes go, you have a alt mode and you have a robot mode. Um, so your alt mode can be anything, obviously. Beast Wars, it could be a rhinoceros, you know, and G1, it could be a city or a tape player. Um, the whole grading scale of, of what, you know, is this, you know, one, two, three in regards to difficulty. That's a relatively new thing because in the day, you know, even the largest transformer was pretty easy to transform. You know, that's, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of engineering to it. It was mostly, uh, hinges on, on a single access, uh, a single axis whether that be vertical or horizontal, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so nowadays, now you have this whole categorizing of the difficulty to transform things. And the big thing right now is this was officially announced by Hasbro is that their transformers were getting too difficult to transform, and that was primarily derived from the movie baseline. Uh, Hasbro engineers trying to figure out how to make Michael Bay's vision into toys. Um, so now the big thing is with the Age of Extinction line, the new movie, you have one-step transformers, a whole line of them. You know, in the past, you might have one or two figures that had this kind of feature, but now you have a whole line of one-step transformers. You have large, you know, used to be the larger it was, the more complex it was. Now you have large figures that you literally just spin them in a 360, and they'll transform into their robot mold. So, I, I mean, it's, it's really interesting where they're going with it. I, I am actually a fan of the separation between the kids' toys and the adult or collector or young adult, you know, lines. Um, but to other fans, they're, it, they feel like, you know, all the money is going towards these kids stuff and we're just getting a few figures over here. Yep, there's definitely a push they want to get. <clears throat> Hasbro wants to get the new generation, you know, on board. They've already got us old guys. They want to get the kids, you know, back up and in on it. Um, I thought I'd just run down a couple. Um, as Slick said, the, after the movie, uh, Hasbro gets very gimmicky with uh, the... With the bots there before that, there were triple changers that could do three modes. Uh, but after the movie, you have your headmasters, which means that the head pops off and turns into a little robot. Target masters, where the gun becomes a robot. Double spies, which would kind of, you change a couple things about them and suddenly they go from a good guy to a bad guy. Uh, there were power masters. A little robot would turn into like essentially an engine and pop in, and that was the only way that you could get the transformer transformed. There'd be a little lock inside of the uh, inside of the bot that wouldn't release oh. unless you put that in there. <clears throat> and then there were pretenders. They would have a shell of like a much you know defined type of uh, creature, 
pop it open, in was your robot. Uh, trigger cons, trigger bots, sparker bots, they were very gimmicky towards uh, the end of the first G1 line trying to get... Here's the, here's the next cool thing about Transformers, trying to get the line to, to keep going. Okay, I gotta ask about Dinobots. Because, <laughs> you know, everybody's seen the, the new trailer probably, and I'm sure there's, there's people all over the world that either don't remember them or have never seen them. But what's the deal with the Dinobots? Well, I mean, the, the big thing is, is obviously they, they were, they are one of the most popular subsets of, of Transformers from the G1 line, from when we were kids. Um, they've redone Dinobots through the ages in almost every single line. Um, I, there, there is somewhat of a hubbub about them. Um, you know, but it's the same thing that we've heard from every movie line adaptation of our favorite characters. You know, purists don't like them. You know, oh, it looks different. Uh, you know, personally, I, my biggest issue with the new Dinobots is prime riding Grimlock. I just, <laughs> I, I'm sure it's going to be you know, explained, but I'm just like, I just think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But I have, I have a Age of Extinction Prime on my shelf. I have a Voyager Grimlock on my shelf. So it, even though I think the way it's being portrayed in the movie is ridiculous, I still love dinosaurs. I still will buy Almost any dinosaur that transforms into a robot that I see. So it, it boils down to kids love dinosaurs, <laughs> and then you get to, <laughs> and then you throw them into the the Transformers craze, and everything you know takes off. Um, you can put me in that category of the the grumpuses who don't like don't like change. If I had to hazard a, if I had to hazard a guess, they probably take a cue from the old cartoon where there were kind of mindless beasts that they have to kind of you know, corral and control. That would be my prediction for the, for the movie. Uh, fun little thing with the, the old, uh, toys. They actually have smoky translucent, uh, cockpits you can find on all of the old toys from that line. It was actually that there would be little men that would sit inside and control those robots, yeah. uh, in the Japanese. Uh, kind of like the Zoid, Zoids were back then. Yep. Yep. And I remember as a kid, you know, we would touch on were combiners, which are, you know, a real favorite among the Transformer fans where you have five bots that can all transform into one big robot. I remember as a kid always wondering, you know, you had this subsection of Dinobots. How come they didn't all turn into one big robot? Yeah, the, there's a uh, customizer out there by the name of Frenzy Rumble. Oh, yes. That um, has done one of my favorite if not my favorite, one of my favorite customs of all time, and it's a G1 Dinobot combiner, and he calls him uh, Extinction. <laughs> so, and uh, and I think the last time I saw him, he's done three or four of them as a commission, 
And the last one he did, he's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this one again. So if you want it, get it. Um, so the five Dinobots that transform into extinction went for almost $2,500. Yeah. And uh, he sold prints. So I was like, okay, well, this is the closest I'm ever getting to this toy. <laughs> so I bought a print for like 25 bucks and it's, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's exactly what you think a Dinobot combiner would look like. Wow. Very cool. Now you guys have mentioned a lot of different lines. Um, is collectors and collectors in general and Transformers fandom, what, <laughs> How do people collect? Do they collect by scale? Do they collect by character or generation? How do people collect? Oh yeah, there's very different. There's um, there's people that uh, I don't know what their budget is, but they collect the original Diaclone and Micro Change editions. So you're talking about getting packaged Japanese toys from uh, even talking earlier. You're talking like late '70s, early '80s. Uh, you know, amazing collections. You can see them on TF Source's blog. Um, so, you know, there's that. And then there's some people that are all in, you know, they, they, anything and everything, you know, the real rabid, uh, fans. Um, like any other line, there's people that collect a character whenever a character gets, uh, released, you know, they go and pick it up. Uh, personally for me, uh, I think I mentioned earlier on, I'm really into, uh, what's kind of known as the chug or the generations, the classics where we're using modern toy technology to represent, uh, the robots from G1. Okay. Well, what about you, Slick? What, what do you see out there and, and what's your, your preference? So the, the big thing is, is I think, uh, I think unlike any other line out there, really scale in the Transformers line is is so arbitrary. Oh, yeah. If you if you try to be a scale collector, you're going to pull your hair out. You're either going to one miss miss some of the best pieces out there just because they don't fall in the scale that you're trying to do, or two, you're just going to have huge gaping holes because nothing is ever going to be made in perfect scale with one another. Um, they're trying to do it right now with the masterpiece line. Yeah. Um, so this is the high end one. They, they've actually rebooted this line. They, they started out doing it at one scale and then at the 10th figure, which is Optimus Prime, they literally started it over. They said, okay, Optimus Prime was the first one and then he was the 10th one and the 10th one was much smaller than the first or not much, but slightly smaller than the first one. And then they just said, okay, from now on, this is our benchmark for the rest of the scale on the line. And they've been doing pretty good. Uh, again, it's, it's with some of the cars and stuff, the scale, you may not think it's in scale, but they're trying to do it as close as possible. 
um, with me, I, I primarily, I primarily kind of do focuses. Uh, so I mentioned the movie early on. Anything from the 86 movie, I'm, I'm all about. So I don't do a lot of third party collecting, but like, any third party Sharktacon that comes out, anything third party that has to do with Rodimus that comes out. Um, one thing I've skipped is the third party Galvatron at this point. Um, but, uh, so I, I tend to do these focuses. I'll focus on the movie. I, I love combiners. So I have every G1 combiner and then have almost every homage outside of the ridiculously expensive third-party combiners. I have almost every official homage to the combiners. And then what I do, like what Andy was talking about with the uh, classics line where where they've really taken the characters and the figures we loved as kids and modernized them, one of my biggest things in collecting in general is collecting the original of a figure and the most updated version of it, you know? So, um, that, and of course, unfortunately I don't have enough display room to really do that, but that would be my dream. One of these days is to have all of these vintage toys I have and have their matching counterparts, you know, right behind them, next to them, showing where, you know, what a toy looked like in 1984 and what it looks like in 2012 or 2014, you know, whenever they put out the updated version of it. That's a, that's a nice display idea. Um, the, the masterpiece I also collect, and it really is a treasure, it's kind of working essentially working backwards when they made the uh, the old cartoon you know they had to really simplify uh these these toys for animation so they're kind of working backwards saying all right we want to get you basically that uh cartoon character you saw as a kid and they're kind of reverse engineering it with uh all the latest technology to get you um you know the basically almost near perfect alt mode and bot from the old cartoon and uh Slick has mentioned the the big the big uh, bear in the room the third party so we should probably probably touch probably touch on it that was my next question so go yep. ahead well i wrote a article for Pogo Soul who's a, a toy blogger who still has his blog up uh but he's not really actively blogging anymore uh about giving a little introduction to the to the third party uh era so this happens uh it's with the classics and i think it really grows out of uh, right around 2006, uh, we start the classic line, and 2007 is the movie. So, you know, for some of us that are like, great, we want this classic thing to just keep going, and suddenly we need uh, shelf room for the movie toys. And understood, it's the movies that, you know, keep the brand alive and happening, but a lot of us were kind of bummed out. We thought that, you know, wow, this is going to be like a power of the force type of thing, a revitalization of the entire line from when we were a kid. Uh, for me, I think the first thing <clears throat> I saw was an upgrade to, uh, the classics cliff jumper. And I found it after it had sold out. And I was just like, you know, what is this? And it was, it was like, well, there's this group of, uh, kids or, you know, guys like you that, uh, they somehow sculpted because Hasbro basically just repainted the Bumblebee and they 
gave him a much more specific head and some weapons that called back to the old show. And I, and I was just kind of surprised. I was like, well, you know, who, who are these people? You know, and then suddenly, uh, there's the city commander set, which takes your <clears throat> ultra Magnus from the classics line, which is basically a repaint of prime and suddenly makes him look like the, uh, old cartoon version. And from there, it just, we're talking about under eight, you know, we're talking about it maybe about eight years here where it has just exploded. And I think it, it speaks to where action figure, uh, collecting the industry is you know, moving. Uh, the ability to, you know, go out there and get something 3D printed or something produced is becoming kind of easier and easier. And there's some people who take a moral stance. They don't think that it's fair. They think that it's, uh, IP infringement. And I, I do respect that. Uh, but for me, I just feel like, well, you know, if Hasbro, if you're not concerned with, you know, what we're looking for, then, uh, I'll, you know, take my money elsewhere. Yeah, I, I can see that. You know, I mean, um, obviously, you know, we've talked about the, the Kickstarter for, um, Marauder and G.I. Joe's and, you know, there just isn't the, the figures out there. So, um, if somebody wants to do that, all the power to them. Or if they want to make weapons packs that Hasbro doesn't want to make, you know, I'll, I'll go buy them. I, I don't care, you know. Yep. There was a little, there was a little kerfuffle in there. Uh, as you meant, BotCon is their big, uh, convention. And there was a little kerfuffle where it was kind of like, well, I, I don't know, uh, we were getting reports that, uh, they didn't want third party booths in certain places. And, and everyone said, oh, this is the end. They're going to start cracking down. They haven't yet. Uh, and then, you know, whenever a Hasbro, uh, figure comes out of a bot that, uh, has a great third party figure, people go, that's it. They're, they're targeting. They're trying to, they're trying to shut it all down. It really doesn't seem like that. And, uh, you know, they changed the name. Uh, there's no faction symbols. Usually you have to go to repro, reprolabels.com if you want to get your uh, faction symbols on your bots. So right now it's living in kind of a peaceful harmony, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the next couple it, of years. You know, it's it's more like art homage to it than anything else. Sure. You know, I think at least that's how I see a lot of that type of stuff. So. Well, and I, I think, uh, I think a big thing with the third party thing, especially in the beginning was it, it was, it, they were add-on kits, you know, and that kind of, it stemmed out of the whole garage kit thing that, you know, it been around for quite a while, just not, you know, TF Source or Big Bad Toy Store wasn't distributing garage kits. It would be on a board where some guy's like, oh, I cast this head in resin, you know, to make it more, more, uh, cartoon-like or whatever. And so in the beginning, it was like, you know, wow, they're selling more toys that he mentioned the city commander. When that armor got released, that that Hasbro toy shot through the roof on oh, the secondary market. I had to hunt I mean, down. Oh, did I? I was lucky enough to find him, and it was a two pack with him and Skywarp. Right. I found him on clearance at my oh, target. You. you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, it was just one of those things. But now, uh, I mean, there's there's companies out there that are literally remolding from Hasbro molds. 
I mean, that gets into a much more grayer area. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and and those have, you know, that company specifically has has kind of gone down in opinion, whereas um, other companies that are making their own characters or making at least their own figures still mostly based on a Hasbro IP or Takara Tomy IP – but those companies are innovating, you know, and, and it's amazing. And I'm, I am, I really appreciate that Hasbro hasn't tried to take a hard line with them. Um, because if you know anything about copyright law, if you don't enforce a copyright, you lose it. So yeah. it, it's actually really surprising to me that Hasbro hasn't done more, you know, in the regard to litigation and that kind of stuff. Uh, and he talked about how uh, BotCon, the official Transformers Collectors Club, uh, for one year they said you cannot have third-party product at a table or a booth, whatever you want to call it, at our con. That's it, right. Yeah, and uh, there was still some stuff there, and at BotCon, almost every year is a perennial question where people would ask at the Hasbro panel, like, have you seen this third-party toy? What do you think of that? And And the overwhelming, like, emotion of the room would be, like, shh, you know, just yeah. if you don't talk about it they don't have to do anything about it you know yeah. and and andy's right and it, i i didn't realize you wrote that article i i'm a oh. huge <laughs> fan of poe Gostel's blog yeah. and uh and i and i saw where he posted on uh twitter where he's like anyone here third party transformers fans and and so i'm like oh god here comes some cheesy, you know, explanation of what third-party Transformers are, and your article was great. I, well, thank I, you. I really dug it. Um, so hey, Even the comment section was somewhat civil. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Never read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Andy's absolutely right. Like, it has gone crazy. Eight years ago, there were two companies you know, mass-produced third-party toys, add-ons, whatever you want to call them. And now there's so many, like, being an avid fan, I couldn't even name them all, even if I tried. You know, if it was a, if it was an SAT essay, there's no way I could name every third-party company out there anymore, let alone how many products each one of these companies are putting out. I just hopped on Big Bad Toy Store. I see 60 60, 60 brands. That is crazy. Some of some of their um, are defunct, but uh, yeah, that is just crazy. And they're pricey. You know, I, I think Slick knows you're talking about a lower production run, so it's getting to the point where a really nice one, hundred dollars. Yeah. Well, it's like like you were saying that cliff jumper add-on kit. I think. Yeah. I, I found out about that about the same time before Fans Project got huge, but after that kit had sold out. And so that kit went for 30 bucks. 
So it was a head and a couple guns for what at the time was a $10 toy. It went for 30 bucks. I was like, that seems ridiculous. But when it sold out and, and to this day, that kit goes for like $350. Oh yeah. Because it's like, it's like a piece of history in this whole like era of third party toys for Transformers. You know, they say that, uh, you know, when, when you copy somebody, that's the most sincerest form of flattery, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Um, so that, that's just kind of, you know, that I've, I've never quite got why Transformers gets the draw on that when, when some of the other franchises out there really don't, you know, you'd figure maybe GI Joe or Star Wars or somebody out there would be doing more stuff, but, but, but Transformers has managed to pull people in and, and generate that third party and, and create that whole world, um, which is kind of cool. I think it, yeah, maybe just kind of the angularness of it that it kind of lends itself to like a CAD, uh, drawing. Um, the last TFW podcast, they had a really interesting story, uh, coming out of the AllSpark about Hasbro, uh, like trademarking, patenting, and it was, it was very vague, the language, but it, you could hypothesize the idea they were looking into was you have a 3D printer in your home, they send you the specs and you print it. And particularly for, uh, my, I lost the weapon or oh. I broke a, I broke a joint. All right. Three dollars. But they're really, we really do care. Uh, yeah. Uh, printer, huh? Yeah. Huh. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Wouldn't have to be very big either. Probably. Um, now, you know, I, when I was talking to the, the Power Rangers guys, we were talking about how long Power Rangers been around, but, but Transformers has really been around since its inception and not really kind of left the market. Um, and, and you guys have seen it grow and evolve through that time. Well, what do you, I mean, has it has, it's obviously had some dark days and some, some high points. What, what are some of those high points and low points do you guys think? Go ahead, Andy. Okay. Um, I think the, uh, high points, you know, obviously the, you know, whatever started at, you know, 84, you know, the G1 is, uh, is certainly at that, you know, first two seasons of the cartoon and that movie, I think are, you know, a great kind of, you know, that, that's the beginning. Um, really you see a decline. There's no kind of media continuing a story towards the late eighties, early nineties. So that's definitely one of the darker times. Uh, the early nineties, you get, you know, a rehash of the cartoon. Uh, you do get a G2 comic that I was, uh, I was really into with, uh, Simon Furman there. And then, uh, as Slick and I both said, the Beast Wars, I would, the IDW comic currently going is very close, but to me, the Beast Wars is the best, uh, story I've ever seen in the, in the, in the Transformers verse. Um, and then you move on to, you know, kind of the, uh, more of the Japanese, um, Toy lines and animated series. I wasn't into them. I can't really, you know, comment on them that much. Um, you have your, you know, your, your movies, your movie fans. Um, there were uh, the Transformers animated cartoon that we had, which I enjoyed from time to time. We had the Prime cartoon that just ended, which I enjoyed from time to time. And as I said right now, the, uh, comics being put out by IDW are spectacular. And if uh, any listeners out there, you want to get into Transformers, I'd, I'd start you right there. Start reading them, get into the characters, and then maybe you could go pick up a robot. 
Well, that, that was going to be one of my questions for you, you guys here is what <laughs> would you tell, how would you tell somebody if they, they had like, how would you get a kid interested in it today? Would you say, and how would you get an adult collector interested in it? I mean, I, I would say the, like he says, the, the comic, if you want to do modern day, uh, right after the comic series, All Hail Me- Megatron, they split it off into the two, uh, to, into the two comic series that are going on right now. And the two comic series that are going on right now are the two most well received, uh, uh, comics since uh the uh escalation and the and that series of comics um so that's probably how i would tell a kid to get into it um an adult collector i would say revisit the cartoons i mean they don't hold up terribly well but if you're not going to if you're not going to have nostalgia from the if you watch the cartoons as a kid if you read the comics as a kid, go back and read the comics, man. I mean, I, I, I never read the comics as a kid. I'm reading them now, the, the old 80s Marvel comics. Um, but the cartoon is my fiction and I rewatched it and I loved it. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. And, and, and I think it's, it's a great way to kind of get yourself into the fandom. Um, as far as collecting goes, I mean, I think if I didn't collect a Transformer, you know, until this point, um, classics and universe and that whole line has, has just blown up. It would probably be almost too much. There, there are already grail pieces in that line that would cost you a lot of money to get into. Um, I would say masterpiece. Especially with the reboot of the new, uh, masterpiece Optimus Prime. I mean, if, if you're gonna have a shelf of Transformers, those masterpiece are perfect, you know, or as perfect as we're gonna get, you know, for quite a while. Yeah, I think, I think kids, you know, whatever cartoons kinda out, that, that gets them started, and then they go in the toy aisle and they pick up, you know, a Bumblebee or an Optimus and, it all, you know, goes down downhill from there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say, you know, the 86 movie still holds up. I, you can show, you know, one of your friends that and just kind of say, you know, look what was going on when we were, when we were kids. Um, and if you, yeah, absolutely. If you have the, if you have the kind of patience to go back, the Marvel comic, particularly when, uh, when Furman took over really, uh, started to ramp up and, I don't have too much exposure to it, but the UK comic is really adored by uh, Transformers fans, and I believe that's been uh, traded, several of them. Uh, the UK comic is where the Wreckers come from, which is a very popular group of bots. They are the, they're the, uh, basically the wet, wet works, uh, team of Autobots. Okay. So yeah, and the interesting about thing about the comics, like I say, that I looked into when I when I was like, okay, I'm going to pick these back up. I'm going to try to collect these. Is the UK and the US comic con or not? I shouldn't say continuity, but the order in which the comics are released and the stories in the comics are different. 
So it gets a little confusing. Like there are more issues in the UK line than there are in the Marvel line. In the UK line, there's a different order for them. So as I read them, I'm actually following the UK line of it as opposed to the United States just because it's a more complete story compared to the all United States Marvel run. And Slick, there's a lot of time travel in the UK comics, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. <laughs> so it gets a little, and I don't, and I haven't read enough, at least the background, backstory of it, to find out whether that was a way for them to fit more comics into line and still keep up with the U.S. continuity or what's going on. But, you know, to me, either one, whatever's more convenient for you, you know, there there's easy ways with digital comics now. And uh, like Andy was saying, the collected trades, you can you can get access to all of these old comics without having to try to eBay original comics and that kind of stuff if you're just interested in the story. I think that the nice thing is that, you know, I think the suits are just concerned with the movie because the movie's what's bringing the, you know, the billions of dollars. So I think these, these authors, you know, the current authors and even the ones back then, they kind of flew under the radar. Uh, and also could get away with, um, it's not a human dying, it's a robot dying. So, you know, there was stuff with real consequences. You know, Furman would have bots dying, uh, you know, left and right. So it was kind of this kind of underground, under the radar type of thing that really allowed uh, storytelling to flourish. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen jokes about comparing Furman to George R. R. Martin, you know, <laughs> when it comes to like killing off characters and stuff like that. So I mean, it, it's one of those things where it, I wouldn't say it's dark, but it's it's definitely adult. You you can you there's value there even as an adult. You know, you guys have have been uh, as I've been listening to this whole conversation, I am fascinated by the parallels to GI Joe. You know, yeah. through everything. Oh yeah. You know, right? You had your strong uh, Marvel comic. Yeah, and a UK comic, and and you know the the Japanese tie-ins and everything else. So it's been kind of fascinating talking to you guys about this. I think but the I, one the one thing I oh, sorry John no go the ahead. one thing the one thing I would love for uh, for us to get is what you guys got that I, it was Resolute right was yep. that the one that Warren Ellis wrote yeah. uh, if we could get an adult uh, animation I'd flip I would love it and keep hoping it might happen. Yep. So that's a good question for you, John, is because the Resolute really had the fandom kind of divided. Where, what's your opinion of Resolute? You know, I'm one of those people that I can, I can look at something and see it as a different take on it. Okay. You you know what I mean? I'm not a, I'm not necessarily a continuity person per se so i can look at something and and differentiate between oh that's cool that's cool i i tend to stay though more with the kids stuff just because that's what i it's what you said i I have nostalgia for that but can i appreciate it yeah i can definitely appreciate it yeah and see and and like i say my podcast deals with 
what I consider the four greatest action figure franchises. Um, and G.I. Joe's one of them, and Transformers is one of them. And re- like Andy, I think Resolute was amazing. And I, I would kill to get, you know, a treatment of that for G.I. Joe, for Masters of the Universe, and even for Star Wars, you know. Revenge of the Sith was pretty dark, you know, with with the killing of the younglings and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I absolutely loved Resolute. I, 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 I'm not ingrained in the comic continuity enough to have issues with it there, even though the cartoon or my G.I. Joe growing up, I still can kind of let that go and enjoy that for the dark themes that Ellis introduced into it. Exactly. And we should mention our Joes and bots have uh, crossed over in comics quite a few oh. times. Yes. My favorite, they're my favorite series of any comics. They're, they're the series I have a complete original first printing collection of all of them. Wow. Very nice. Very cool. Okay, I gotta ask you guys, in your collection, what is your favorite Transformers piece? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> uh, you're not gonna get off that easy. I was going to say that they're like my kids. I can't choose which one's my favorite. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll go first. I'll give Andy a chance to kick that one around. Um, Me, uh, G1 Ultra Magnus. Uh, Ultra Magnus is a focus character of mine. Not only was he introduced in the 86 movie, he combines uh, several of my favorite things. One, he, I, as an adult collector at least, I am just completely enthralled with the way, uh, Hasbro and Takara repaint things to reuse their molds to make more money off of their initial, initial investment. So the fact that Ultra Magnus and previous to him, the Diaclone version, Powered Convoy, was just a repaint and Powered Convoy was actually original, but whatever. Uh, repaint of Optimus Prime is amazing. And then to me, especially when I was a kid, I always saw Ultra Magnus as a mech suit. So his trailer was actually this mech suit that Ultra Magnus, the, the, you know, repaint of G1 Optimus Prime got into. So mech suits are one of my most favorite things in the world. Um, repaints I find absolutely fascinating as an adult collector. And then to top it off, he was in my favorite movie of all of all the franchises I love, and the character itself of of Ultra Magnus is just fascinating to me. A a person that knows his place in society and and gets dragged out of it, kicking and screaming, you know, to this higher echelon. You know, but still doesn't lose who he is. I think it's a great reflection, especially on our society nowadays, where everybody just wants 
something bigger and better and, and think, you know, everybody thinks they should be a manager and be the leader and that kind of thing. I loved Ultra Magnuses. Uh, uh, I'm just a soldier and that's what I do best. So it's like you must be pumped for his, uh, masterpiece. Oh my God. I, I am so, when they, when they announced the almost hundred dollar price drop in the Takara, I was like, thank God, cause I'm always so torn over whether I should order the Japanese version or hope and pray that it gets an American release for, you know, a half or third of the cost of the import. So when they dropped it a hundred bucks, I'm like, yeah, they could even release this in the United States and I wouldn't Matt. I wouldn't care. I'll buy it again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. speaking Oh, is it my turn? Yeah, I was gonna say you're up, Andy. I'm gonna I will I'm gonna just do a small split of fish my favorite uh Hasbro and my my favorite third party. Uh my favorite Hasbro is going to be the Masterpiece Soundwave that came out last year. Uh, just an amazing representation that is so, you know, cartoon on model, but also like still feels like the toy, uh, that you had as a kid. The great gimmick of he turns into a, uh, geez, what, a tape deck <laughs> at this point, I guess is what you have to call it. Yeah. But now we're really starting to show our age because, uh, I don't know, kids would even understand what that was. Uh, but the great gimmick of that the tapes that went inside him also turned into robots. I always loved that. As a kid, he had this, um, you know, the cartoon of voice uh, mentioned on all the cartoons. There were these kind of veteran character actors that they hired for the G1 cartoon and they would put their voices through. I don't remember the technical name of it to give it that kind of alien robotic feel, but his was really weird and voiced by Frank Welker, who all of us should know at this point, uh, <clears throat> Um, and just, yeah, it was just kind of this cold calculating character. So to get a masterpiece character, um, representation in was, was great. Uh, third party, I would go with Hegemon, which is the name that they gave for their, uh, Megatron. Uh, particularly because at this point, if you all remember in the uh, original, uh, toy line, Megatron turned into a, gu- a handgun which is just off limits at this point as far as Hasbro's concerned. So there was no way we were going to be getting this from Hasbro. Uh, so uh, I don't, uh, Toy World stepped up and made uh, Hegemon, which is basically a representation of G1 Megatron as the handgun. And I have him sitting, I'm looking at him right here on my shelf. I have repro labels on him, so he has his Decepticon symbol. And soon I'm getting the Firefare add-on kit, which gets him a little bit of a better head and a little bit better feet. And uh, can't wait for it. Cool. Very cool. Okay, I've got one last question for you guys. All right, we are ready. In one sentence, describe why Transformers is the greatest toy line of all time. I'll say, I'll say, yep, 30 years and still going strong. That's pretty good. That's good. Slick, you want to take a shot at it? Uh, let's see. We'll do, uh, vehicle and robot together. What could be better? That's, that's pretty good too. (laughs) That's pretty good too. Well, guys, if, um, let's say you got some new fans from our, you know, cause we're beginning, so, um, <laughs> you get some German fans. Where, where could they find you, say, Andy, if they wanted to get, get in touch with you and, and, and pick your brain? I've got a Twitter, 
Abroda, A-B-U-D-D-A-H, and then send me, send me a note. Uh, but really other than that, um, I pop up every once in a while, you know, writing a blog here and there, but, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. All right. And, and Slick, where can we find you? Um, so I, uh, host along with, uh, my wife, um, a podcast called Open Your Toys. Uh, you can find us at, uh, openyourtoys.com and then, uh, um, my my non diplume uh as it would be slick mc favorite is pretty much what i am on everything so i'm at slick mc favorite on twitter i'm slick mc favorite on youtube uh we actually went camping the weekend that facebook started allowing vanity urls so I'm not at I'm not slash Slick McFavorite on Facebook. We're open your toy. We're slash open your toys on Facebook, um, and then we have a fan page on there. But uh, best way, just go to openyourtoys.com. Check out one of our shows. Uh, at the beginning of the show, we tell you everywhere we're at, and um, and we're just we're really we don't. Try to be slick. <laughs> Forget the <laughs> pun. Um, we don't try to be slick or anything. We're just a husband and wife. I I buy too many toys, and she gives me shit about them and questions, you know, why I have to buy this toy or that toy. But she's a geek at heart too, so she kind of understands what's going on. Yeah, I, I will. I will give people the warning that it's an NSFW podcast. Oh yes, just, definitely. Just, just, you know, so you know up front, but, um, uh, guys, I have to say this, this has been a lot of fun and I have learned a ton because, you know, obviously I'm not a train. I, I do, I will admit I own two transformers. All right. I, I own one of the little movie ones and I actually own a, uh, Pepsi Optimus Prime. Oh, good. You got the, that Hasbro exclusive one. Yeah. The, the, it was one of those things in Mountain Dew was having auctions with points when one of the movies came out and I managed to score one of those. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. That's one of my favorite pieces. I love, I love weird, weird, obscure things like that. Yeah. So that, that's my, my two pieces of Transformers. And somewhere there's a GoBot around here, but I have no idea where it's at. So don't even ask me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have that conversation again. Well, not on the greatest toy lines of all times. <laughs> and the rest, the semi, the, r- the, the semi runner, or, yeah, the runner-up of greatest toy lines of all time. The greatest attempt to formally knock off the greatest. I don't. Know. We'll, we'll figure out something. But gentlemen, it has been a, an absolute blast for me. So thank you very much. John, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Any chance to talk toys, I'm always down. Well, we will be right back after this. It's the exploding bridge with Batmobile and Activator. Batman's included. Pretend Robin is held prisoner. Batman's in the Batmobile. You can send him to the rescue. Imagine the villain uses the comic action activator to stop Batman as he crosses the bridge. He's made it in the nick of time. Set the activator, place Batman on it, and you can send him to the rescue. The Exploding Bridge with Batmobile and Activator comes with Batman from the Comic Action Heroes Collection. Robin sold separately from Mego. Well, that is the end of our show for this episode. Many thanks to Bill Murphy, Andy Bentley, and Slick McFavorite for joining us and for making this episode a really interesting one we hope to listen to. 
We love receiving feedback from our listeners. If you would love to let us know what you'd enjoyed on the show, or like Andy, if you'd like to suggest something that we should talk about more, you can email us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com. You can find us on Twitter at AFBlues. We are on Facebook at the Action Figure Blues page. And we also have a fantastic uh, fan forum at afbforum.com. And we would love to see you there. By the time you listen to this, the San Diego Comic-Con will be well and truly underway, and our next episode will be entirely devoted to covering all of the toy news and reveals from that great event. So that's all from us for this episode. Good night, Argentina. And hey, call your mom. Make sure she's okay. The Action Figure Blues podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and downloaded direct at actionfigureblues.com by clicking on the podcast tab. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please take a moment to leave a positive rating and review. We also have an active fan forum at afbforum.com where you can join in with all of the hosts of the podcast and many other collectors to discuss news, new releases, old lines, and engage in trades and sales in a safe community. Please join us there. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, please don't forget to check out our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, ShelfLife.net, and the Pop Culture Superstore, who help keep our site running. You can also find us on Twitter at AFBlues and on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash actionfigureblues. Thanks for listening. 